You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to Locked On Warriors, your daily podcast on all things Warriors. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat reporter for the Mercury News. It's Friday, so let's get to the mail. You sent in questions to me on Twitter at WC Goldberg and to my email at wgoldberg at bayarianewsgroup.com. And I've got questions about what position the Warriors are prioritizing in the draft, what the current players are working on in the offseason, and why reporters willingly report on things that teams don't want reported. Yeah, that was a question I got. We'll get to that later. But let's start with this question from Jake, who writes in, Do you have a sense of how they seriously feel about Andrew Wiggins? People tend to just toss him into trade ideas, but I still think they'd be glad to have him. Um, This is a really interesting question because the the Warriors traded, executed the sign and trade for D'Angelo Russell largely uh, as an asset move. Uh, I would say completely as an asset move. They understood that the the D'Angelo Russell uh, fit was never going to be clean with Steph Curry in that backcourt. That said, they did give it a test run. And they decided by the trade deadline that it wasn't going to work, even though Steph was injured for most of that time, and that they wanted to move in another direction. That Andrew Wiggins trade was out there. They knew that doing that sign-in trade with D'Angelo Russell, that that deal for Andrew Wiggins would always be out there with Minnesota. Minnesota desperately wanted to pair D'Angelo Russell with Carl Anthony Towns. So they they make the trade at the deadline. Now, that you could view that as an asset-for-asset swap, and but, but with Wiggins, he is... I think they want to rebuild his trade value, but really what they want to do is just get the better, cleaner basketball fit, and in rebuilding his trade value, he will become a better... If they if they rebuild his trade value, then inherently he's going to be a better basketball player. He's going to be more efficient. Uh, he's going to have more value around the league because he's just simply better. And if that happens, well, then that's a good, clean basketball fit. He is He is a pure... Three. He is a pure small forward. He is six foot seven, long, like seven foot wingspan. Um, slides easily next to Steph and Clay. Just the basketball fit is so much better. Even though in a vacuum, D'Angelo Russell is the better basketball player, and they didn't get a huge sample of Andrew Wiggins. He only played one game with Steph and Draymond Green. Never has played with Clay Thompson. They're gonna want to see in this mini camp coming up, uh, starting September twenty first. That's gonna be huge for Andrew Wiggins. Uh, it's going to be huge for the coaching staff in the front office, not only to get him acclimated to those players, but then sort of view him with those players and see if it'll work. Here, and the other part of this is, I know that a lot of people want to throw Andrew Wiggins into trade ideas, but he's still viewed across the league as a negative asset, okay? People don't want to pay Andrew Wiggins $27 million a year, and rightly so. The Warriors have a lot of work to do and as far as as Andrew Wiggins is concerned, not only getting him acclimated to players that he's barely played with, if ever, uh, and contributing in an efficient and meaningful way to a team that is going to go to the playoffs and try to contend for a title, uh, but also in rebuilding that trade value, if and when the right deal is out there for maybe some sort of superstar to upgrade this roster, Wiggins' contract is such that it might it almost have to be included in that sort of deal because they're not going to want to trade Clay Thompson or Draymond Green. They would much rather trade Wiggins. So I, I do think that the Warriors, we talk about this all the time, they need the future face of the franchise. Who is going to be the next guy? Wiggins is only 25 years old. 
Now, I don't think, and, and by the way, a former number one pick, there is so much talent there. This was a smart gamble by the Warriors. It makes a lot of sense. I don't think he will become the face of the franchise. I think at best he's a high-end role player in the NBA. I think that's pretty proven right now that that's his best-case scenario. But that said, he could still be very much a part of this future. And the Warriors should not just assume, and they are not assuming that they're going to include him in a trade. This might be the core going forward. Bob Myers has included Andrew Wiggins in what he likes to call the core four, the with Steph, Clay, and Draymond, and then you throw in Wiggins there. They never spoke of D'Angelo Russell like that. Wiggins very much is a part of this core. But as always, if the right deal is out there, then anybody can like anybody can get traded in the NBA. Anybody can move. We have seen this over and over and over again. So even if they're committed to Wiggins long term, it doesn't mean that they can't trade him if the right deal is out there. Uh, this question comes from MAA Kasim, who writes in. What are your views on Draymond Green? His savant-like IQ, leadership, and other intangibles are there, but with declining athleticism and that shot most likely never returning, can he still contribute in ways like he did before, or there would be serious downgrade to his performance? Um, Look, I think Draymond Green's value was questionable coming off of that last championship. He he showed noticeable age, despite having a very strong postseason. Um before the Warriors lost to the Raptors in the finals. Um, there were still questions about his age, and he showed noticeable regression throughout the regular season. And you had to wonder, with this team, with Steph, Clay, and Draymond always getting beyond 30 years old, what was the way to upgrade that team, especially if Kevin Durant was leaving? I thought that th- that could have been the start of a major shakeup, but Golden State decided, no, they're going to give Draymond Green an extension, and, I th- and that extension, I think, is going to be a very good value for them. He is never going to be a 38% three-point shooter again he may never be consistently above a 30 percent shooter never even a 35 percent I don't think that's going to happen that one year where it happened was definitely an anomaly that was the exception not the rule it would be unfair to expect that ever again and I do think that the the athleticism is no longer there either but I this season Draymond proved his value in a very major and meaningful way in that this was a young team and it was not without frustrations early in the season. He hated losing 50 basketball games this year. Absolutely. But he showed to this coaching staff and to this front office that he could be a coach on the court for them. And that that is like he always has been. But he showed a patience that he had never shown before. And they're going to need that patience, right? This is not this is not the title favorite anymore. And they may not ever be the title favorite again going into a season. That doesn't mean that they can't have a chance at winning the championship. But I would not call... They'll, they'll never be the far-away, runaway favorites like they were during the Kevin Durant years. And so with that, Draymond Green is, need, is going to need to exercise more patience than ever. I think the way that he was able to coach up, communicate with his teammates, and all those things, you you there's nobody else in the league that does it like Draymond does, and you can't put a price on that. That is so valuable. And I think as we, you know, move you know through these next few seasons and, and kind of try to close out this championship window— uh, with Steph Curry, I do think that Draymond Green is going to just play a lot more center, despite the waning athleticism, despite all those things. It just it might be the future of the league where, where or with where the league is going that you're forced to play Draymond even more at the five. Maybe at one point he eventually becomes your starting five. Who knows? Um, but I definitely think that that's possible, and, and the Warriors will always find ways to to maximize his abilities. But they need him on the court to improve this defense, and it's going to be a major talking point this offseason and going into next season that that defense needs to improve from 26th in the league in defensive rating it needs to be in the top half of the league and Draymond is going to be a huge part of that um 
Snoo Cupcakes, 4632, writes in, which position are the Warriors looking for in the upcoming draft? Is it a wing or a big man? Um, I reported a couple weeks ago, right after the draft lottery, that the Warriors uh, are higher on this class's guards and perimeter players than they are on this class's centers. I think, um, and, and so not only do they are they going to prioritize a wing, and they are going to. Look back to my um, podcast this week with Jaron Collins. He said, and it echoes things that Steve Kerr has said in the past, length is what's important. They need to improve the point of attack. They need to improve their length on the perimeter. And we are seeing right now in the playoffs where Bob Myers took a visit to the bubble, and I'm sure he saw this up close and in person, teams like Boston, Miami, okay, the Clippers, the Lakers, long teams are making it through, right? They are advancing. That matters. And all those teams play very different styles, okay? Some a little bit more traditional, some very more modern in the case of Boston. Traditional in the case of the Lakers. The Clippers and the Heat are probably somewhere in between. It doesn't really matter the style. You need length. That stuff matters. You need to be able to shoot over guys. That's what was, you know, I I don't need to tell you, but that was what was so impressive about KD. And when your best player is six foot three and Steph Curry, well, then you're going to need to add length elsewhere. Draymond Green, undersized for his position. You're going to need to find length elsewhere. So I think that's going to be more important, and I don't think that you need to do that in the form of a big man, a traditional center, because that player can't be on the court in meaningful minutes. You need length on the perimeter, not necessarily at the rim, as we've seen with Draymond. You need length on the perimeter. Jaron Collins says you need length at the point of attack that is out on the perimeter. That's where defense starts now in the NBA. The Warriors need to get better there. They gave up the most three-pointers in the league last year. They need to get better there. They need to get hands up in front of other guys. Um, so I think not only will they be looking for length because it's a team need, but it's also where I think the value in this draft lies. I've got a question about what Eric Paschal and Jordan Poole are working on in the offseason, but first, let's talk about DoorDash. Between never-ending laundry cycles and incoming emails, you've got plenty on your to-do list. Give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. I use DoorDash all the time. I subscribe to the Dash Pass, which gives you free delivery um, and all these things. I highly recommend doing that if you're going to be using DoorDash a lot. Uh, and, and during these times, look, I'm, I'm writing, I'm recording podcasts, trying to watch basketball, all these things. Sometimes you just forget about lunch. Well, I just go on my DoorDash app, have somebody deliver you know, some chicken and rice or something like that, Boom, it shows up at my door you know, within half an hour, and, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Continue supporting restaurants in your community safely. There are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant, and your food will be left at your door. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's $5 off. And zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. If you missed it this week, I spoke with assistant coach Jaron Collins about improving the Warriors' defense and with Bram Hillsman about how the Warriors can land Giannis. Find those episodes in the podcast feed and subscribe. Ryan writes in, What builds successful team culture? What role do players, coaches, and front offices play? The Heat sustain their culture through a rough patch, and it's paying dividends today. How would you compare the cultures of the Heat and the Warriors? Um, Look, 
I think the biggest thing that Steve Kerr brings to the table, and you talk to people in the Warriors, whether it be players, front office, ownership, anybody that comes in contact with Steve, they say he is the start of the culture, and he is the guy that establishes that. Um, I think it was incredible that when Glenn Robinson and Alec Burks were traded before the deadline to a playoff team in Philadelphia, that they were upset, noticeably upset, disheartened, heartbroken, they didn't want to leave the Warriors, who at the time had the worst record in the league. They didn't want to leave the worst team in the league for a playoff team. They loved the culture there in Golden State so much. And I think that speaks a lot to this organization. And, yeah, the Heat also have that sort of culture. And their their culture is more of like a blue-collar hard work, where the Warriors are very much a culture of acceptance and empowerment and all these things. One culture is not better than the other. I think what's important is that if you have a positive culture— which both of those teams have. Throw San Antonio in there. Toronto, Boston. Like These teams all have that sort of culture. When you have that, it makes you that much more attractive to free agents and potential superstars who want to get traded or you know whatever. Uh, but it also helps you, like Ryan said, get through those rough patches. It gives you an identity, something to hang your hat on. And when you have that, when you have that identity, it just takes one big question off the table. You don't need to worry about it. Go get players who fit that ethos, fit that sort of, uh, and it's not a system, okay? It's not like a Mike D'Antoni thing where, hey, I need three and D guys surrounded by, you know, surrounding James Harden. It has nothing to do with it. It's it's a it's almost a more of a personality thing, and that's what you're seeing with Miami. That's what you've seen with Golden State. Did they have the worst record in the league? Absolutely, but their culture remained intact. And I don't know, and that is remarkable for a team that won 15 games and lost 50. That's remarkable for that winning culture to stay. I mean, people still view the Warriors as a winning team. They were the worst team in the league. That's huge. I don't know how many more years you can sustain that. You can't be the worst team in the league and, and, and still sustain that. But you can, if you're the Warriors, get back. Even if you're a middling team, be okay with that. Uh, let's go to our next question from Bobstar447 who writes in, Hey, Wes, wondering if you have any insight into the players' offseason training Heard in another podcast that Eric Pascal has been asked to work almost exclusively on his jumper. Curious about the other guys. I think that was my podcast, uh, Bob Starr. I, I remember talking to Eric Pascal um, a few weeks ago, and I had said it on this podcast and reported that he is almost exclusively working on that three-point shot, and that's going to be huge uh, for his involvement next season. If he's going to play next to Draymond Green, look, he's going to get a shot at being one of the closing five guys for the Warriors. Like, he's going to get a shot at playing next to Draymond, Wiggins, Steph, and Clay. Like, he's going to have an opportunity to do that. But it, more important than anything is going to be whether or not he could space the floor because Wiggins and Draymond are not floor spacers. So if Pascal can improve to a 35% shooter, well, then that's really something. And all of a sudden he's able to space the floor and then and provide the, those, the other things that he gives you, which is versatile defense, a stout defender, uh, a guy who can bang with bodies in the paint and get out on the perimeter, um, and a guy who can finish through contact, which they badly need as well. Um, and then as far as Jordan Poole um, and Kai Bowman, uh, they've been working out with Packy Turner, who was a, who's a local you know Bay Area trainer who's worked with the Currys, you know Steph Curry and Seth Curry in the past, and and has a very tight Warriors connection. So obviously, uh, the Warriors funneled uh, Bowman and Poole uh, to him. So they've been working 
out at that gym. And then, you know, with Clay Thompson, he's obviously been rehabbing in, in, in Southern California. Steph Curry has been, you know, working out and, and, you know, staying in shape, but also getting involved in all these other things. Um, Draymond Green, as we know, has been working with TNT, but also staying in shape, obviously, um, and doing all those things, too. So uh, I think the biggest guys, when we talk about development, guys like Jordan Poole and Eric Paschal and Kai Bowman, rookies last year, they're definitely uh, trying to maximize this offseason as much as they can. Uh, our next question. With a lower cap, huge decrease in revenue, and some owners apparently struggling with cash flow, how do you see this free agency playing out? Do you see more one-year, one-on-one type deals going forward, or is it more of an incentive for free agents to chase a ring now, now that the money might not be there? I think that's a good point. Uh, and this question, by the way, is from DNESDNAL17, Reddit user. Um, I think this offseason we'll see a lot of one-year deals. I think free agents, and look, there's going to be a, a certain class of free agent that just says, you know what, I understand that the cap situation is what it is. I might not have been able to earn as much as I thought I was getting, being, becoming a free agent this offseason, but I need the long-term security, and that's what I value. So you're still going to have a certain class of free agent that says that, that prioritizes long-term stability over trying to re-enter free agency in a year, but you're also going to have that class that does try to do that. So I think there's going to be a number of um, one-year deals and one-on-ones and things like that. And I do think if you're a veteran free agent that says, you know what, maybe the money's not there so that I thought was going to be there, so at least let me go try to chase a ring next year. Yeah, I think that could, you know, hypothetically help the Warriors. It's all going to be an individual basis, but yeah, that that makes sense to me. Dad, 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 Dante, okay, Reddit user again, writes in, do you think there will be struggles trying to fit Pascal with Steph, Clay, and Draymond? I'm worried because the back-to-the-basket, ball-dominant offense he thrived in last year doesn't fit how the Warriors usually like to play. Uh, I've said this all along. Eric Pascal's rookie season was incredibly impressive, um, and and you've got to be proud of yourself if you're the Warriors for, for finding him and developing him, and for Pascal, you've got to be proud of yourself for doing what you did. But I do have questions about how he fits in. I talked about the importance of that three-point shot already, and he's working on it this offseason, but yeah, he needs to not be a black hole on offense. He tends to pound the ball and, and sort of play this, you know, slow-mo isolation game, and that doesn't jibe with what the Warriors like to do, the ping-ping ball movement stuff. Now, he didn't need to worry about that when Steph and Clay weren't on the court, and it was just like, hey, somebody's got to score, you go do it. Um, and that's why over the course of the season, and specifically at the end of the year, you saw those assist numbers start to tick up a little bit. That was a huge point uh, for that coaching staff in, in Pascal's development, not just the three-point shot and improving that that jumper, but also, hey, you can't just look for your own shot anymore. you got to improve your court awareness, your court vision. you got to get your teammates involved in all those things. And he started to show encouraging signs of that toward the end of the year. So that's going to be huge for him. I think there's a, a certain amount of back-to-the-basket and muscling and driving that this team needs. Like, it's not what the other players do, and that's exactly why they need it. And I think there's going to be value in that, and especially when he's playing with a second unit. He could be leading that second unit in scoring, but uh, when he does play alongside the starters, that's still a useful thing. Like, if he's cutting and muscling to the rim, go for it, right? Steph and Clay don't need to take every shot. Pascal can still get buckets, all right? It's just going to be fewer touches. He's going to need to be more efficient, and he's going to need to get those guys involved. I've got a few more questions to get to, but first, let's talk about Built Bar. If you're like me, when you get hungry, you can make bad decisions. But the best way to avoid blowing your diet is to be prepared. And that's why I always have a box of Built Bars in the kitchen. And I always have a Built Bar with me in my go bag. Not only is this the best tasting protein bar that I've ever had, it's the most healthy and it fills me up when I'm busy or I'm on the go. With with 18 amazing flavors, including new flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, and apple almond crisp, 
Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate and soft and easy to chew. They taste like a candy bar, but they're low calorie and low sugar while also being high in protein and fiber, making them perfect for the keto diet. So go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order plus a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. I like the cooler idea because I put these Built Bars in the refrigerator. They get a little cold, a little bit more nougaty and chewy. Uh, I think that's the move, and you can do that with the, with this free cooler. So, again, that's promo code locked on for $10 off, and do it at BuiltBar.com. If you haven't already, now is a perfect time to hit that subscribe button to get episodes of Locked On Warriors every day on your phone. What is the appeal of reporting on inter- internal turmoil, asks Curry30. For example, why did Dieter Kurtenbach like to fan the flames on the whole KD thing in which in turn affected our team's performance. Do your do you reporters have the best interest of the team in mind or just trying to sell ads off of controversial content? And if the latter is the case, then why the hell would they even let you in the room? Uh, shout out to my uh, colleague, D- Dieter Kurtenbach. But look, this is a great question, especially in the political climate that we're in right now. And I know that that's not necessarily what we're talking about here, but it all is related. Why do reporters... Well, first of all, do you reporters have the best interest in the team in mind? No. That's not our job. Our job isn't to pump up the team, okay? And in regards to fanning the flames on the KD thing, look, I wasn't a Warriors beat writer during the Kevin Durant era, but I was definitely around the team as as a national writer, and I saw up close and what was going on there. And that wasn't fanning the flames on what was going on with KD. It was just reporting exactly what was happening with KD. And those are two very different things. It is our job as reporters to observe and talk to people and just report on exactly what is happening. We don't create the narrative, we report the narrative. And look, I will admit, there's a certain amount of narrative threads in what we write about as reporters, but that's the stories that we try to tell. We try to report news. We're not within the context of a narrative, but that does not mean that we make up things for the context of the narrative. Now, are things a little bit more exaggerated? Absolutely. But you and I both saw Kevin Durant blow up on Draymond Green against the Clippers. We saw that happen. Nobody made that up. And it's our job as reporters to write about it and ask about it and report on it. And that's all there is to it. So, no, we don't have the team's best interest at heart. And we're not just trying to sell ads off of controversial content. Now, sure, there's some sensational headlines out there and things like that that we need. I'm like, I'm just being honest. I'm not saying that the newspaper industry is perfect. I'm not saying that we're perfect. I've got headlines all the time that are a little sensational. And that is meant to get you to click on it. Okay? I need you to click on it. And I need you to look at, get the page views. And I, and I need you to subscribe to Mercury, the Mercury News to get my content. Like, that helps me in my job. But I'm not going to make stuff up to get it done. I think, my, at least for me... What I try to do is tell you good stories, give you good insight and analysis and information. And none of those things is to force a narrative, and none of those things is made up, okay? I just try to give you as much information on your favorite team as possible. And in general, us as reporters, our job, and a lot of people get this confused, but our job is not to support the team. We don't work for the team. I do not, I do not work for the Warriors. I report on the Warriors and all those things. Now, that's not to say that there's aren't... Like, I'm not this objective journalism guy either. I root for the team in certain cases. I root for certain guys on the team because I like them. I'll be honest with you, okay? And a lot of reporters won't tell you that. All right, I want the Warriors to go to the playoffs so because it helps me in my job. If they go to, the, how many guys that were on the Warriors beat 
got better jobs because they went to the NBA Finals. My, my predecessor, Mark Medina, got a, a job at USA Today because, the Warrior, because he reported on one of the greatest dynasties of all time. So intrinsically, we would root for the team to do well because it helps us selfishly in our own professional careers. So if anything... If anything, your beat guys, okay, now you can have like the Rick Bukers and the national guys and stuff like that out there, maybe fanning flames, maybe trying to get clicks, okay? Those national guys, that's what they do. But I'm around the team every day, guy. I'm not going to be sensational and make stuff up. They're going to, they read what I write. They hear what I say on these podcasts. Why would I do that? And it's not a scare tactic. I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you that they're they when they're bad. I'm not gonna, I'm just not going to make stuff up though. That's our job as beat writers. Just to tell you what's going on. That's all. That's all. Um Ryan writes in, do you consider yourself a Florida man? Uh yeah, I guess I would have to, right? I was born and raised in Florida. I'm currently recording this in Florida. I'm spending time during this whole process uh with family here in South Florida and Miami and so um, yeah, I would consider myself a Florida man. I'm not, I don't think I'm super crazy, but look, if I end up on the news, they're going to say Florida man. Okay. They're going to get the headline out of it. In terms of count, another question from Ryan, in terms of count, what's the ideal toilet paper target? I have about 20 rolls stored, but my dad has 200 rolls stored. Which of us is nuts? I think your dad is at 200. That's a lot. I never understood the whole toilet paper thing in the beginning. You couldn't find it in grocery stores and all these things. People were going nuts for it. Uh, there was a little bit of mob, mob mentality going on with that. That was really weird. 20 rolls is plenty, Ryan. 20 rolls is plenty, I, and kudos to you. You're great. I don't know how many rolls I have, maybe two, three. Uh, I probably need to run to the store. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on Warriors wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and say nice things about the show. Thanks to DoorDash and to Built Bar for sponsoring today's episode. You can send your comments and questions to me on Twitter at WC Goldberg or email them to me at wgoldberg at bayarianewsgroup.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Have a great weekend.